This is another bottle down on Co-op Radio, KOOP Hornsby, Austin, 91.7 FM, and KOOP.org. I'm your host, Mark Rayshap, here to appreciate wines from all over the world and to talk with Austin's leading wine professionals, from winemaker to sommelier and everyone in between. Now it's time to put another bottle down. Good afternoon, Austin. Thank you so much for tuning in. We've got a wonderful show. We're here for the next hour talking about wine. And uh, we've got a, a, a full studio. We've got live in the studio Julia, Dix, uh, Julia Dixon, who is with Art Wine Pro. Uh, she's doing events, and she's here to talk about Texom. We just recently had a, a, a sommelier conference that is of utmost importance here in the Austin and Texas community uh, up in Dallas, and that was last week. Uh, we'll be getting a review from her, some of her experiences, what it was like to be a volunteer, uh, and she won a, a a social media competition with Guildsom, which is um, one of the educational arms. So uh, we'll talk all about that. And she is wonderfully eloquent with wine. So I'm really looking forward to that. Later in the show, we have Jeremy Wilson, who is with Texas Wine Lover, which is one of the premier... Uh, sources for information on the Texas industry. They have a podcast, they have uh, a blog where they go over all of the major Texas wineries and regions, so we'll really be looking forward to getting into it with him. So stay tuned. Well, Julia Dixon, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. You've been on before. We were tasting some some wine blind the last time, if I recall. Uh, thank you for coming into the co-op studios. Yes, hello, everyone. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Well, you've got so much going on, and we're going to get into some of your projects. You're doing uh, wine and, uh, and wine events and whatnot. You come from the restaurant world, and uh, you were sommelier at Perla's for, for a while, uh, right? And, yes. and, and now you're, you're broadening your horizons, and, and uh, we're here to, to talk also about Texom. So how, how, did, how was the experience overall? So that was my third year uh, being there as a volunteer, and each year it just gets better. It seems to be growing. This year, Pro Wine from Dusseldorf joined the conference, and they're the biggest trade um, show in the world as far as wine goes. Right. Um, we had about 200 volunteers, and it was nice to see familiar faces of some leading wine professionals that uh, joined Texom, not just from Texas, but from Washington, Chicago, and some other states. It truly became a big wine family. Of sommelier. Yeah, right. And and so for folks listening out there and they think, oh, a wine conference or a sommelier conference, you think, oh, it's just this opportunity to get to, together and drink some wine, right? Or, or no, it's, it's quite a professional affair. Most definitely. We had to polish um, more, more than 7,500 glasses when you, we just got there. So it's ongoing polishing and polishing and it's nonstop. Setting up for conferences, moving boxes shifting boxes of water and wine and organizing everything. It's really about 14 hours every day of nonstop work. Oh, my goodness. And you give it all. And, yes, in the meantime, you do taste some great wines. Actually, Texas Fine Wine sponsored uh, Sommelier Lounge this year, and it was great. They brought out some delicious Texas wines, and there was a nice relief for all of us 
when we took our breaks. Right, right. And so, you know, to give, we talked about 200 sommelier uh, volunteers, and it becomes a really big family. Uh, it probably, in the beginning, was mostly from Texas, and then you talk about it expanding from for sommeliers all around the country coming in and being part of a really, uh, really large community. All of the other attendees, do you know how many attendees there were this year? Um, and and we would love some of your impressions of, of the seminars and whatnot. So the number of attendees varies because there are people who attend for a day, people who just go for grand tasting, there are people who visit at all, there are people who take classes like WCT, sake classes, get certified in different uh, levels of wine and beverage world. So it's more than 1,000 people for sure. It's just hard to... Right. come up with the exact number but it's a lot of people it's very interactive yeah and um of course people like june Rodell, yeah david keck james tidwell uh they a big impact on bringing people together right for both volunteers and attendees right so the um uh, James Tidwell uh, was was one of the founders, right? And yes. so, uh, and we should say that 2005 was the first year, and it's just grown and expanded. Uh, still, always having its whole home uh, in Las Colinas, north of Dallas, yes. and at the at the Four Seasons there. Um, and and like you say, there's a lot of opportunities to do certification programs. And uh, and did you catch any of the sommelier competition? There's always the Texas Best Sommelier uh, competition that happens during during that time as well. Yes, there is a gentleman from Houston one, uh, but Mandy Nelson. You know, she took second place, and she's our home based in Austin. Yes, that, so. that so Andres Blanco from Caracol in Houston was yes. was number one, and and a huge shout out and congratulations to Mandy Nelson. Exactly. Um, now, from a sommelier perspective, can you can I always like talking to the public about what these things involve, and and can you give us a, a flavor as to what the competition is all about? Yes. Uh, yeah. So master sommeliers are making a commission of judges and uh, you stand in front of them and basically you pass an advanced or master exam, you just don't know, but there were a lot of questions of a master level and advanced uh, sommelier level that usually court of master sommelier would give at the proper examination. So and the questions are about theory of wine, about service of wine, and also food and uh, you just never know. It's very intense, and this year I heard it was extremely difficult. So, you know, for Mindy, I'm so proud of her. We're uh, in the same blind tasting group, so I'm extremely, it makes me really, really happy that she got it. Yeah, so much hard work that... Yeah, a lot of hard work. ...that pays off. Um, can, can you give us maybe an example of a, of a question? Did you get any word from Mandy, what, what maybe a, a, a zinger of a question was, just to give folks an idea? Or is that top secret? <laughs> Well, I can just uh, briefly say they can ask subregions of um, Portugal wine regions, uh, or something that you don't really come across on everyday basis as a wine consumer or even wine professional. Some unique producers um, that are really small and maybe their wines are hard to seek out, but they will ask about who found those wineries, like Brick House in Oregon, for example, what the production is. So you don't just have to know regions, or you have to know people, the stories behind all the Most wine. Definitely. Wow, that's, that's incredible. If you're just tuning in, we're here with Julia Dixon, who is with Art Wine Pro, and she's just back from Texom, which is one of the uh, major 
wine conferences and and really communities that are th- across the the sommelier world in the entire United States. Uh, did you get to? So you were volunteering, and you were with uh, these two hundred other volunteers, and it's incredibly hard work, uh, polishing glasses and making sure all the wines in the right place. Did you get to a, a chance to visit any of the seminars to to I learn did. a little bit? Yes, this year been my third year at Texom. I decided to also visit seminars yeah. and attend and that was great and especially knowing what kind of hard work goes behind the scenes to put it together we extremely well organized uh, some one of the best wine professionals from all over the world were invited and uh, like, d- yeah and, and what did you get to, to meet some winemakers that really had a, uh, made an impression on you it was more of a wine professional side it's not a lot of winemakers that i got to talk to i'm sure they were present but, you know, Jeff Kruth was there. He's a president of Giltzom. Right. Um, and for, so, for folks who do want to learn more, uh, Jeff Kruth and Giltzom put out some fantastic videos about wine. And, uh, and they take a region and they'll really dig into it and go and visit the region. And so you can have video and, and, and audio, uh, a very, very educational uh, Giltzom.com uh, for that. There was uh, Dilek Janair, and she's master of wine, and she held uh, WSET courses, and then they took an exam the following days. And so it was really exciting to hear her talk about wine, even though it may be the information you already know, but, you know, it's never... It's always good to revisit and hear it from a master wine. Yes, and and so you bring up a, a an interesting point that I think that a lot of uh, uh, folks in the in the public don't really understand is that um, a, a master sommelier might approach wine in a slightly different way than a master of wine. Can you can you give us a little bit of a difference as to what what the difference of those titles really means? So uh, two different approaches to wine. And um, it's not uncommon for um, them to cross, but there are a lot of different fields. Uh, Master sommelier is all about wine in restaurants, but you have to know a lot uh, when it comes to service and what you offer to your guests. But service is definitely a very big accent for master sommelier when it comes to master wine. It's um, they're talking more about um, philosophical understanding of region styles of wine. How can you use it? outside of the restaurant yeah. when it comes to retail, seminars. And uh, it's very in-depth, but just a different approach. It's more about uh, developing your own opinion as one professional on yeah. certain wines and regions and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, uh, developing those opinions and writing and a, and a huge emphasis on, yes. on writing. And, and the master of wine is the top of that, of that uh, trajectory. And so, um, and, and that is maybe a continuation of what you had talked about, the WSET. And uh, if, if you want more information on those, I actually interviewed one of our uh, local WSET uh, teachers on a previous show here. So um, check out the archive, uh, koop.org slash another bottle down. Um, what, what other seminars did you do any of the um, kind of vertical? I know that they always offer some really older wines or some opportunities to taste, you know, a particular uh, prominent property over, over years. Did you see anything interesting there? So um, I visited Turkish wine seminar by yeah. Dilek uh, Jenner, and that was incredibly interesting because I, I never tasted many different Turkish wines. 
yeah. wines. But there was an opportunity to taste some of the best the Turkish wines and learn about regions and uh, about winemakers. Yeah. That was, that was really cool. Um, also, Lake County wines. What is Lake County, for folks who don't know? So it is a subregion in California, uh, and it's very diverse as far as soils and the grape varietals. Yeah. Um, they make incredible Sauvignon Blanc for white, yeah. Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, so that was outstanding, and really that's one of the hidden gems of California outside of Napa right. and uh, I'm so Alexander glad that Valley. I'm so glad that there that that was a seminar because I've been talking about Lake County it's just north of Napa and there's uh, a similar climate and volcanic soils and uh, and there's great potential there so I'm glad that it's that it's now on you know really in front of the sommeliers of of the country what um so and and you are quite a special a specialist in Eastern European wine. So I'm glad that Turkey was a was a big piece of what you got to taste. Um, what are the flavor? I mean, for folks who have never had Turkish wine, what what what, uh, what would you expect? Uh, I think they fill in very affordable price category with high quality of wines that um, we mostly used to. They're very European and progressed and modern in the way they make them. So some wonderful sparkling wines, Blanc de Blancs, that are easy to drink and uh, just very appealing to a European or American palate. Yeah. Um, There's some delicious reds that are high quality but super affordable. And 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 like I mentioned, and we're going to talk about it in a few min- minutes here, that uh, you are quite a specialist on uh, Georgian wine, and which is the Republic of Georgia. Yes. Um, and you're going to be starting up an importer to import some of these, so we can have them in in Texas. Uh, but we can, can we lump Georgia and Turkey in uh, all into one uh, sort of category, or quite different? I think quite different, but those countries share a lot of. Mutual traditions, being neighbors and having a long relationship, like Turkish coffee is being drank in both countries, and uh, they both have indigenous grape varietals and uh, very old approach to wine, and they always argue where the wine, you know, was not invented but made first. Right. Uh, so that's an ongoing battle, kind of like who invented sparkling wine. Right, and you know? and I mean the research pretty well shows that it was in, that that the grape variety that we know really came from Georgia, yes. from the Republic of Georgia. But you know, a thousand t- years. Yeah, Turk, the Turkish folks, winemakers can can argue, right? Yes, <laughs> and you know both are very friendly cultures. They love visitors. They love to share their food. They wine with whoever comes their way, and they're very hospitable. Yeah. Can I ask you what some of the more interesting wines that you had outside of the seminars? Because as you can imagine, when there's sommeliers uh, getting together, and then there's distributors and importers around, uh, there there's just wine all over the place, and y- your exposure is incredible. What are some of the kind of the off-program wines that you, uh, that you really experienced? I, I love dessert wines that are well-made. And I prefer dessert wines to dessert, and they always <laughs> that sweet spot um, at the end of my meal. Right. So Debertoli Noble One was some of the highlights. Actually, I couldn't uh, help myself, but r- I wrote the note about it, and that would, uh, you know, led to the contest winning well, of Guild well, well, but So we're going to talk about your, mm-hmm. your tasting note there, but can you first tell us about uh, the wine? What, what is uh, Debertoli Number 1? So it's essentially a portraitized semillon. From right. Australia, and people compare it to some of the best Saturns. Yeah. 
So, and it's uh, it's rather rare, but if you do find it, it usually comes and it's very affordable and uh, it's delicious. Yeah. So, so what did you write? So, so all, uh, ongoing throughout this conference was a, a, um, a tasting note competition. So there were all these wine people submitting their tasting notes and via social media. And uh, so what did you come up with? So I just said, skip the dessert and go straight to De Bertoli Noble One. It's lush, layered, candied ginger, fresh saffron, dried apricot, orange oil, and lemon heart candy with jelly. Balanced with long-lasting finish. Delicious till the very last drop. All right. So, but some of another highlights for me, it was uh, Ribera y Rueda um, lunch, and they poured uh, Dorado wine from De Alberto. Okay. So it's very rare, and for me, it was the first time I ever tried it. Actually, it reminded me of like a stronger version of uh, Amontillado sherry. Okay. Very and nutty. It was also made in Solera style. So. Made in the Solera from uh, from the 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 Rioja region. Uh, no, no, it, it was uh, from uh, Ribera. From, from from the Ribera del Duero. Yeah. yeah. Um, very cool. So I, before we, we, we move on and we're going to take a break in a few, few minutes, but, um, you know, with your tasting note, and I think that you're quite gifted, uh, in describing wines and you've been on the show before we've tasted blind and, and I love your descriptions. How, how does that come about? I mean, do you, what goes on in your head? And uh, do you, are you focusing on tasting these these like candy ginger or you know this and that so that you have a, a baseline and then you can apply that to the wines that you taste or do you just come up with the aromas? How, how does it all work? I think it starts with joy. I truly enjoy wines and food. So when I taste things that really excite me and highlight my palate, I just can't help but uh, wanting to share it with other people. So. It's just very easy, but I think the key word is joy and pleasure and uh, trying different things. Right. And then so allowing yourself to, to open up and, and to have these aromas really come at you. And, and, and when you r- truly love something, the identification of it is probably a lot easier, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Well, great. Well, let's take a short break. This is another bottle down on Co-op Radio, K-O-O-P, HD1, HD3, Hornsby, and uh, streaming online at koop.org. Uh, we're here uh, talking live in the studio with Julia Dixon for from Art Pro wine and we're going to get into some of the wine events that she's doing and uh, the tie-in with art and it's really quite fascinating and then later in the show stay tuned for Jeremy Wilson from the Texas Wine Lover blog and webpage and podcast Uh, we'll take a short break and we'll be right back support for co-op comes from link and pin gallery an artist-led space that offers a community and environment to discover local art the gallery is located at 2235 East 6th Street, Suite 102. More information is available at linkpinart.com. You're tuned in to 91.7 FM, KOOP, uh, Hornsby, Austin, your community radio station. And uh, I'm really enjoying this conversation. We're doing a review of Texom 2017, which just uh, wrapped up last week. It's the uh, one of the main wine conferences. Uh, and, and particularly for sommeliers, it is the highlight of the year. You get to taste all these rare and fine wines. Uh, and I know that uh, hundreds of people from Austin who work 
Mexican restaurants, uh, drove up to Dallas and uh, really had an amazing time. I was uh, here watching social media um, descriptions and pictures. Um, it was really quite special. I was I was jealous over many 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 turns, twists and turns. Um, if you're, uh, I, I do want to mention for everybody listening out there that we are uh, next week we start our membership drive. So actually this Friday we start our membership drive, and that's our uh, twice yearly opportunity to contribute to the station and to let us know that you really appreciate uh, all of the amazing programming that we have, uh, amazing music shows and uh, and news and public affairs. There's not really any radio show like this where we talk about wine uh, in Texas or or you know on the FM or or around. So um, we really appreciate your support on that. Julia, um, let's can we should we wrap up Texam? What any other experiences that that were really notice you know notable? I mean, um, I know that we talk about you know the community, we talk about uh, the competition, which is an amazing uh, opportunity for folks to to show their their skills. We talk about the educational opportunities and and all of the networking. Anything else stand stand out and your your time to show your craft of of tasting notes and whatnot? Well, I just wanted to add this year something new. It was a Saki certification added to it and also tea certification. So for someone who doesn't know, it's a great opportunity to go and learn about those things too yeah. on top of wine. Sake is a really, really um, an unknown, I think, in the beverage world and underappreciated, right? And uh, and the, the possibilities for food pairing with sake is, is incredible, yes. right? It's uh, no longer just uh, served at you know Japanese restaurants anymore it's offered in many other cuisines yeah including uh, American restaurants do you have a do you have an off the beaten path sake pairing for for our folks out there anything that comes to mind that that uh, is untraditional but goes really well with sake I think sake and oysters is great ah. And so, and you had, uh, you know, a lot of time to, to play with that when you were at Clark's uh, Oyster yes, Bar, right? Yes, definitely. And Perlis. And, and Perlis, right. Yes. Um, excellent. Well, uh, you have, you know, we, I want to touch bases on some of your other projects that you have going on and, um, and we'll continue to follow you. You're doing, tell us what Art Pro Wine is all about. And that's the, the uh, company that you're putting a lot of efforts into now, right? Yes. So Art Pro Wine was a very nice move uh, forward for me. Austin is known for its art community and great wine community. And there's a lot of things that come in between. And the wine community is looking to get inspired by art, looking for branding, looking for designs and events. And the art community is looking to drink great wines and represent and it just naturally came together. Right. So uh, we've been, um, we have launched an art exhibition last year, The Soul of the Soul, all dedicated to wine and wine community and did wine tastings with it. It was a huge success. Yeah. This year um, in fall, we're coming up with the Red Party. Yeah, and tell uh, us about that. So it's, um, it's a private event, but it's mainly for wine professionals yeah. and artists in Austin to come together, enjoy some nice Texas wines, but not only. Look at some uh, Texas art, listen yeah. to some local music, and really have a great time. Yeah. Um, is does uh, Art Pro Wine have a website where there's more information? Yes, oh, it's yes. almost ready and being launched in the next couple of weeks. So okay. it's going to be really exciting. You can see all the good things that happen in, including artistic wines 
that are coming out. Yeah, how did and how did this generate for for you? I mean, I talk about wine being an art form in itself, and it seems like you're uh, t- trying to tie these things together. I mean, do you believe that that the, and and is and how did this kind of natural synthesis happen? Art and wine have a lot of uncommon things. Yeah. Great, great wine, you can know how to make wine, but great wine always have that mystery about it. Great artists, you can go to school and learn how to be an artist, but great artists also have that sort of mystery and talent and whatnot you call about that. And that's similar in those two worlds. And it's also both a luxury products uh, that people come to in certain stage of their lives. Right. And the way you um, offer wine to people and the way you offer art to people are very similar. And a lot of people who collect and enjoy wine also collect and enjoy art. Right, right. So it's very natural. And yeah. also a lot of wineries are looking for artistic representation, art labels. On the labels, right? I mean, that's such a big... Whenever I talk to graphic designers and artists, they, they almost drool over the opportunity to uh, affect their consumers via a label. I mean, it's, it's like this flash where there's all these other labels on the shelf and you have to have something jump out, right? Yes, uh, <laughs> So well-made label is a face of your wine when it's in a bottle. It should speak about what's inside and uh, make it more poetic and approachable for people. Yeah. Uh, can we, in the, in the few minutes uh, remaining uh, in this half hour, can we uh, talk about your Texas Wine Project? Yes. Um, so Texas Wine Journal brought me on board tasting panel Texas Wines uh, two years ago. Yeah. And I've been tasting Texas Wines ever since and really discovered some amazing wines and producers and working with local artists, it's almost natural that the interest came around and we decided to start an artistic Texas wine series. We're going to start with Mills Catch Wine here in fall, and hopefully that will take off and uh, we develop from there. Right, so the idea will be to have a, a, a feature an artist with a label yes. and have that kind of a, a short-run, almost collectible uh, situation. Yes, also artists, uh, you know, with help of sommelier, chooses the wine that represents... It's art. Yeah. Um, more detailed, more complex, or more fruity and easygoing, depending on what style of art they're doing. So that's really interesting to have that collaboration. Yes. Well, I, I wish you the best of luck on Thank that you. project. It sounds wonderful, and it sounds uh, like it's a natural evolution for you. Uh, in addition to uh, your importing Georgian, the Republic of Georgia wines, yes. which is going, gravity imports, and that's, that's gravity imports and uh, Art Pro Wine, where you have wine and art events um and we will be sharing whenever you release the website please let us let us know here so we can share that on social media and uh and let everybody know what's going on with that uh julia dixon thank you so much for being on the show thank you mark and um and for everybody listening out there, uh, thank you so much for tuning in and thank you for getting ready for our upcoming membership drive. It's a really exciting time. Uh, we're going to be doing having a, a few antics uh, that are going to be going on throughout the course of membership drive. We're going to be tasting some Texas wines versus wines from uh, around the world. We're also going to be uh, doing something fun with other programmers. If you, if you recall, in the past, I've done some blind tastings where we taste some uh, rot gut wines or some uh, other fun things with other DJs and some of your favorite programmers. So stay 
tuned for for some antics during membership drive. Uh, in the meantime, you can go to koop.org and check out all everything that is going on with the station, and you can click that donate now button to get a jump start on supporting all of the amazing programs on this station. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with Jeremy Wilson from Texas Wine Lover. So stay tuned. All right. Thank you so much to everybody out there tuned in to KOOP, Hornsby, Austin, your community radio station. And uh, my name is Mark Rayshep. This is Another Bottle Down, uh, where we talk about wine and the wine industry. We had a lovely interview with Julia Dixon uh, in the first half of the show. And now we're bringing in uh, Jeremy Wilson, who is from the Texas Wine Lover team. Uh, Jeremy, thank you so much for being here. Hey, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. And so tell us what, in, in, a, in a broad brushstroke sense, what uh, the Texas Wine Lover is. So Texas Wine Lover is uh, everything Texas wine. Uh, we are, uh, you know, to date, a website, a blog. We do podcasts. Uh, we do wine reviews, uh, winemaker profiles. We're here to support the industry in every aspect we can uh, for the consumer. And we also represent the wineries, of course. Yeah. Um, there's so much to talk about with Texas wine, and I think that there's a lot of um, misconceptions out there. There's a lot of, um, there, there's maybe some uh, ill will, maybe, or there's some, uh, and then there's on the other side, there's people who are such huge proponents about it. Uh, for you, how is it to kind of tread that line between, uh, you know, folks who are skeptical of Texas wine and, and, uh, and what you truly believe is that Texas wine is a national player and really worth our attention, right? Yeah, that's, <laughs> I think the challenge in itself is what makes it really exciting. Uh, I love when people come into the winery or when we're writing about stuff and talking about it to really bring forth the information. Yeah. about what Texas wine offers now, because it wasn't always the greatest. Let's face those facts. We are an infant of an industry. Right. We, are, we are not California. We're obviously well behind their mark, but we're really becoming something huge as of late. And I love the challenge of introducing people to it, especially if they're skeptical. Well, California was there at one point, too, right? Where there was um, there were challenges with their industry. There was They were trying to figure it out. Uh, it might have been in the 30s, you know, in, in, in the uh, a long, long time ago where they've had so much time to figure it out. But there and there are always new challenges. Right. How so you started in 2014, right? Uh, shortly after. Give us maybe a, a brief history of the Texas Wine Lover. Yeah. So Jeff Cope and his significant other, Gloria, uh, started visiting Texas wineries in 2010. And one thing led to another. He decided they're going to start writing about it and blogging about their experiences and taking photographs. And it blew up, obviously. They, it's a, a passion was ignited beyond what they could have thought at that point. And uh, I came along in 2014 to do wine reviews. And I also introduced the Texas Wine Lover podcast to bring forth a more interactive media side to Texas Wine Lovers so we can go interview winemakers, we can talk to other sommeliers, 
anything Texas wine related, we are on board with that. Yeah. And uh, so, and then Texas Wine Lover took a big turn in 2014 into 2015. Uh, Jeff made a decision. We are no longer a blog. We are a website. Okay. So now if you go to, uh, on board, we have a fully monetized website with advertisements. We have the, the blog. We have wine reviews, podcasts, winemaker profiles. We have uh, several things that are cool. I think two things I really want to mention that are extremely unique about Texas Wine Lover is the fact that we have interactive maps for both wineries and vineyards. Mm. Now, this is very consumer-driven. We want people to log on to TXWineLover.com and be able to go to one place and have an interactive map showing them exactly where each winery is in the state and each vineyard is, their address, their phone number. Uh, what grape varieties are planted to each vineyard. Obviously, it's a work in process. You know, we don't have everything on board right now, but we have many, many, many listed. That seems like a project that is incredibly vast and, and difficult to keep up. Can you uh, give us an idea as to how many wineries and vineyards are on there? Do you have a, a, an overall count? I did some scrolling uh, through it, and it, it seems like I didn't get past the A's. And uh, Yeah, you know. <laughs> there are a lot. Yeah, I want to say hundreds on each right now. So we're always, uh, and, and by the way, if anybody is listening, if you're a grower or if you're a winery and you're not listed on the website, feel free to contact us at info.txwinelever.com or just click on the website right. and there's a contact us page and give us the information. We'll be glad to list you on there. Yeah, absolutely. And why why is it dif- different for to, to have your vineyard listed as opposed to your winery? Can we talk a little bit about that dichotomy? Because maybe not everybody in the public is so uh, in tune to that. Yeah, in a nutshell, uh, it's as large as the state is. We have eight Appalachians. And believe it or not, most of the tourism, obviously, as you guys know, is in the Hill Country. You know, we have centralized location for, for the wineries uh, to guests. But most of our growing is happening in the Texas High Plains around the Lubbock area. And about 85% of our fruit is coming out of that region. So it, it's important to list the vineyard separately because a lot of these people are only growing grapes and they are farmers selling to the wineries. So they have a completely different dynamic versus uh, a lot of the producers out there. And how transparent are, have you found that uh, most wineries are quite transparent as far as what vine- you know vineyards they're getting from? Or I guess you just need to talk directly to the vineyard and ask what they have planted and what they're doing really well. Does it first start by talking to the winery and getting who they're working with? Or does it start by trying to have your pulse on the, the vineyard side? Uh, both actually you got yeah. you got your fingers on two different wrists getting that pulse you speak of one is the winery side and one is the vineyard side and fortunately jeff and i both regularly attend newsom grape day in the high plains and we'll literally set up a table and have growers come up and fill out you know a piece of paper that shows hey what what grapes do you have planted when were you guys founded all that good stuff wow so so real transparency absolutely and, and that's i think the the main the main goal um, are you, and as far as that goes, you're not really weighing in on any quality factor, right? I mean, that, that, that's not the idea that the idea for the vineyard and the winery thing is all factual to present info there, uh, on, but you do weigh in from some of your opinions uh, on the page as well. Is, is, is that true? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Which is a little bit tough for me because I'm in the industry as a sommelier for one of the wineries and I write for Texas wine lovers. So I always want to make sure I'm surfing that line safely and not being biased. But yeah, we, we pride ourselves on factual information, both from a media standpoint 
and for me personally as a sommelier in the industry. Yeah. Do you think that there are, are additional uh, advantages to being a, a digital uh, media outlet, like, you know, as in a web page, a blog, podcast, etc., as opposed to traditional print? Is there maybe more flexibility or um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Because, you know, there are, in my opinion, uh, and from what I see out there, there's a few outlets that are primo uh, for getting to know and having good opinions on Texas wine, and certainly Texas Wine Lover is up there. And so, um, how do you think about that? Do you think do you do you and Jeff talk about, hey, uh, you know, what is it? What are our advantages versus traditional print media? Absolutely, the yeah. the digital program we have is so awesome because, you, I mean, from our standpoint. I can write a wine review and Jeff can be in the airport in Miami and boom, it's already edited and posted up to the website, which is great. And from a consumer standpoint or one of our readers, it's at your fingertips. If you're on the road heading to a winery and you get lost, boom, TX Wine Lover, here's the map. It'll actually link, link to a Google map from our page to show you how to get there. Wow. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of advantages to having that, that your finger on, on the footprint, basically. Right. Absolutely. Do... Um so let's talk about kind of your, your writing and, and what you try to, to tackle when, because you've been writing for the blog, you started out with that. Maybe now your, your job is that, plus also some other administrative stuff and to, and to work with, with wineries and vineyards to get that up there. Um, what are your, you know, if somebody has never read Texas Wine Lover, you know, what do you try to accomplish and, uh, you know, g- give us a taste of what the blog's about? Well, as writers, uh, our goal, and I'm, I'm going to speak for Jeff and I personally, not for obviously any other writer out there. We want to be as concise as possible. We want to provide every aspect of information to the consumer that we can. And uh, we are really, really, really sticklers for factual information and trying not to have too many grammatical errors. We're both kind of go back and forth laughing on that. It's like, hey, did you catch that? Uh, so we're, we want to provide great information and, and not have to go back and re-edit stuff, which happens, right? Sure, sure. Uh, which is another benefit to you know, being digital. We can fix stuff if we need to. But for me personally, I, I can speak for myself as a sommelier. Uh, you know, wine is amazing, right, as we all know, and it's something we enjoy and it's something we share with people. And it can be very pretentious. And I admit fully, I can be extremely pretentious with wine. But when it comes to writing and, and being a sommelier in the industry, our goal is to make it approachable, to make it educational, to make it fun. We don't want wine to be on this pedestal we're all staring at. We want it to be in our hands and in our glass. So the, our style of writing is very consumer-driven, for sure. Made easy to read by people who are new to wine, but also not dumbed down to the point where people who are master sommeliers are like, oh yeah, I get it. That's cool. Right. So we want to really try to write for everyone. Is that a tricky balance? Do you, do you, uh, do you and Jeff ever go back and forth and saying, Hey, we should describe this a little bit more, or maybe we should clarify this. It's maybe too wine geeky. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We've had several of those conversations over the years based on what we're doing. (laughs) And, and, and so it's not just, we should, we should give people a little bit more of the scope because it's, um, you're writing for the blog. Jeff is writing in those, you know, you two are kind of one of the two of the, the, the original writers, but now you work with, you said 10 or so uh, other writers that contract or so, and, and they might write an article here or there. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff and I and Gloria are the core team of Texas Wine Lover. And we're, uh, we're happy to have 10 other writers who contribute, uh, really covering Texas all the way from Houston region, Austin, 
Dallas, Fort Worth and the high plains. Yeah. So it's nice to have writers who can attend media events that maybe one of us can't attend because right. we get a lot of, a lot of, uh, emails from people. Hey, can you guys show up to this event, a total wine opening in San Antonio? Yeah. Obviously we need somebody that can make it there. Or a, or a wine release party. And that's, that's really essential. If something is, if a wine is being released, you want to be one of the first people there to taste it. Yeah. We want to be there when it happens. Yeah. How, how often do you visit wineries? I mean, you're there, there's a lot of ground to cover. You've got some folks who, who work with you. I mean, how can you give us a little bit of a taste of your uh, monthly schedule or so? <laughs> yeah, I, I admittedly, at present time, it is harvest in the industry. I'm, I'm probably not visiting personally as many wineries as I should, uh, but I try to make it a goal for my wife and I to head out to the Hill Country on a day off and update ourselves on the wineries we know, try the new places. And Jeff is notorious, even in the beginning, and people love this for taking a three or four day road trip, writing the whole thing out with pictures and people love it. Yeah. It's one of our most, uh, probably our most popular topics is road trips. So uh, he, he and Glory are famous for, you know, going all the way from Houston to Dallas, back through Tyler, back to Houston in one day, and people love it. So, <laughs> And just documenting that experience. And so if, if folks wanted to share a similar experience and, and comment on that, absolutely. What You mentioned harvest going on. Last week we did our uh, 2017 harvest report. I mean, it was somewhat incomplete because we could only talk to five winemakers, and there's hundreds in the state. Um, and we tried to we tried to hit up you know various regions around. Um, at what do you see going on uh, now in the? Can you give us a little bit of an update as to where we are in harvest? If folks missed that that episode, yeah. So far, and in, in my I'm knocking on wood here. Uh, the Hill Country Harvest for Texas 2017 was phenomenal. Uh, we had a kind of a wet spring. It ramped up to a kind of a shorter hot summer, and things came off the vine when they should. And we're pretty much pulling the last bit of fruit off in the hill country as we speak you know, over the next few weeks. And now the High Plains fruit starting to roll in because they're obviously several weeks behind us usually. And so far, the High Plains is looking great too. I mean, we always have hail to worry about and, and, and heavy rain. But so far, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and predict 2017 to be a pretty awesome vintage. Yeah. And that's what we're hearing from around the state and particularly from where most of the grapes come from in the high plains as well in the in the hill country. There were some tricky conditions on the coast and maybe northeast had some rain and, and whatnot. But that's a small piece of the of the puzzle. Right. Yeah. Um, what, what, can we talk about some of the, the, the challenges, some of the things that you've, that you've learned along the way that are maybe a little bit unknown about Texas wine or, or, um, you know, if, if folks are somewhat new to Texas wine, what are the, the, the messages to be talking about? Well, we've learned to both despise and embrace our weather as best we can, as with a lot of regions. Uh, there, was, there was a time period, and you may remember, when people blamed bad Texas wine on the heat. It's like, ah, right. oh, it's just too hot to grow grapes. And as we know, that's absolutely not true. Right. So I think the biggest challenge and one of the interesting things about Texas is it is a large state, as we know. And we're taking Mediterranean grapes and throwing them in a non-Mediterranean environment. We're, we're talking about a, a maritime influence, some continental influence, and some mountain influence throughout this giant state we have. And we've, we've learned over the years to plop these grapes in the ground in, in, in micro-terroir spots that they really thrive. All the way from the Texas High Plains and Brownfield, where pretty much any vinifer grapes are doing pretty well, to picking the right grapes in the hill country. We got Tanat, Tariga Nacional, and, and Tempranillo and Morved. All the way down to the Gulf Coast. Obviously, they're not, they're not doing a bunch of vinifera on the coast because of the humidity. So Blanc Dubois and Black Spanish have really been the answer to that problem for them. 
So really the diversity of it's kind of interesting. And that's part of the challenge too, is using the right grape varieties, managing our canopies right, depending on the conditions of the year and, and the little micro pocket. And I guess the blessing is taking advantage of those AAVAs and even areas outside of those Appalachians to use the Bordeaux mindset is what I like to use. Use your strength, right? So Bordeaux on, on cab years are going to blend cab heavy. And on, on Merlot years, it's going to be Merlot heavy. And we have really made an industry with our red wines in Texas to play that Bordeaux game. Whatever's rocking, that's going to be the base of that blend. If the Hill Country had a great year, the High Plains had a lot of rain, well, Hill Country dominant red wines might be the story that year where it could flip-flop the next. So it's a big puzzle to put together. Yeah, so you're, what you're saying is almost uh, the, the wineries that are that are hedging their bets and have vineyards in the a wide variety of regions across the state, that's almost the model to go instead of you know the one estate vineyard uh, and, and the image that we all have of a winery that sits on top of a vineyard um, and, and you know you just go with what what you're given so and and that's probably what you see when you put your vineyard list together on the website right i mean there's a lot of diversity absolutely and uh i love the gamble people are taking you know people planting syrah out by tyler and keeper selling places and making it happen and then other places people are are seeing the davis mountains become this interesting appellation to plant cabernet sauvignon at 5800 feet and you know as long as you get past the freezes you're good but it's uh these coming years are going to be interesting to see what those appellations are producing for the state T- tell us about that because davis i wanted uh, last week i was trying to get chris brundrett to talk a little bit more about the davis mountains uh can you have you um interviewed people or done a little bit of work with with what's going on out there or because i find it very interesting i want you to elaborate a little bit more yeah, I can't speak personally. That's definitely would be a better question for Chris to answer. But I can speak from experience of talking to people. Yeah. And this goes back to the 90s when the original Blue Mountain Trail vineyard was out there. And they were apparently producing this stunning Cabernet Sauvignon that rivaled Napa. And Pierce's took the vineyard. But now people are planting again out there, taking advantage of that big diagonal shift and that, that you know, almost no humidity for this really cool mountain, you know, it kind of makes me think of Argentina almost growing at really high altitude and, and getting through the elements every year. Right. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, well, so back to the website, you know, if, and if, and if folks are just tuning in, uh, this is another bottle down on co-op radio and we're talking with Jeremy Wilson of Texas wine lover. And that is uh, txwinelover.com to check out. There's an extensive list of, of the wineries in the state of Texas. There's, uh, an extensive blog where we get to meet, uh, winemakers and, and hear from, and, and have great, great, uh, very approachable articles. There's the podcast. Um, can you talk about if somebody hasn't heard the podcast yet, um, any, any producers you really enjoyed interviewing any, I mean, there's some dynamic and very intriguing people in the state, in the Texas wine industry. What were some of your, your highlights, if we can get you to, um, your, your, your pensive at the moment? <laughs> yeah, that's it, it. It sways both directions. I've had interviews where people are very shy and then, you know, we're trying to create conversation. And then, uh, I think one that stands out and he's already been mentioned today, good old Chris Brundred. Uh, he's a good friend of ours and, and, and Chris is a hoot. Anytime he's interviewed, it's going to be good information. Uh, you know, it would definitely, when I interviewed Chris the last time we were in his office, I think taking, you know, drinking pet mat, you know, kind of leaning back on our chairs, the most relaxed situation ever. And he's always got such a, a charismatic attitude about him. That's sure. why people love him. And he's fun to interview because people want to hear him. He really has a lot of passion about this industry. So Chris stands out. Uh, I've done some great interviews with uh, Penny Adams with Wedding Oak. 
uh, we've done interviews with uh, well quite a few people that are that are really into what's happening and and they love to talk about it. So it's yeah, wonderful. Well, um, let's take a one last short break here, and uh, and we'll we'll have some wrap up comments and and uh, and c- continue to talk about Texas wine and the Texas Wine Lover page and blog and podcast. So, uh, Jeremy Wilson from Texas Wine Lover, stay tuned. We'll take a short break and be right back. Support comes from the Bullock Museum, presenting a summer of family-friendly activities, including films and documentaries, weekly hands-on programs, and exhibits. The full summer schedule is online at thestoryoftexas.com. All right, 91.7 FM, KOOP, Hornsby, Austin, and uh, we are, this is a wonderful, we're, we're in the summer months, we're in harvest for the Texas wine industry, although pretty much wrapping up and in the hill country. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that you're enjoying this show. Uh, Texom wrapped up last year. I think everybody in the wine industry is kind of on vacation now, um, trying to get some, uh, some rest before, um, before, you know, uh, October, November, December comes hits and everybody's back to school. Everybody's back to school today. Um, so Jeremy, uh, you've got, so again, we're talking the Texas wine lover, txwinelover.com, uh, the blog and, um, and podcast. Uh, what else you've got, you do cover some areas outside of Texas, right? Is that, is that kind of a, um, is it a growing category for you or is it, uh, something that, that is just, you know, you're somewhere else and it, you don't want to lose that opportunity. It's actually a mixed bag because as a website, you can imagine we get a lot of contact from people in California and Washington. And, you know, I think part of the beauty of being called Texas Wine Lover is it's multifaceted and it doesn't have to be just about Texas wine. So, yeah, we we knew we needed a beyond Texas section because we're getting so many calls for interviews and, and wine samples sent to us. So we created a separate part of the website that's not about Texas. And you know, Jeff would be a better person to talk about that probably. I think the feedback is good because I think a lot of people are not just into Texas wine. Yeah. Uh, I don't know exactly what the hits are on that, but so far we enjoy doing it. And I, mean, I, I love, I'm a Texas boy, but I love California and Washington and, and you know, French wine and Italian wine too. Sure, sure. <laughs> so we want to broaden our horizons a little bit at least. Uh, absolutely. So, um, and coming at it almost from a Texas perspective, I mean, that could be a good uh, giving some insight if a particular grape is doing really well. Well, I mean, you know, it might be interesting to throw in a winemaker from the region that really uh, kind of founded the founding father of that grape variety. That could be something pretty interesting. Um, you also have a very dynamic social media presence. And how how important, I, I'm on a few groups where um, folks kind of ask other people on social media to weigh in. What, what do you see as that piece of uh, of this of the puzzle of, of wine touring of getting to know certain wines that are out there how important is that and and do you do you enjoy that that piece I mean there's there's a lot of pressure to be on there as a as your webpage right that's extremely important in our situation because Texas wine lover has been and always will be a consumer driven website we support growers we support wineries but uh, we need the feedback from our our, our listeners and our readers basically and having social media presence on facebook and twitter and even instagram is huge for us which is why we not only have the facebook page for texas wine lover which relays the information over from the website we also have a texas wine a texas wine lover website page 
which is an interactive forum in which people can discuss their wines of the day, food pairings, and it's more dynamic between people, between consumers. And of course, we can toss out Q&A as, as well. Right. And I've even, I've even seen uh, some people share the bad with the good as far as, hey, we didn't have a great experience. And then it's almost a way for the winery to correct that experience uh, is, you know, I mean, do you want it? You want to promote uh, all comments, right? Or, or so that we can all get better as an industry? Or what are your thoughts on that? I think that that is a very slippery slope, as we know, with social media. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to have people be able to get their information out there and winers can respond in, on a whim. But I've also seen it go bad, and I think we all have too. So I've seen it go both ways. I see some value in it. So, yeah, my take would be either or on that. It's definitely... Uh, you got to be careful how that sure. how that goes down. Absolutely. Well, where is you know where is the Texas wine lover going from here? I mean, is it you know you've expanded quite a bit so far, right? Um, did uh, are we going uh, to have you know more content being generated, or what, what's the goal? And and um, where do you see kind of Texas wine lover going over the next couple of years? We are definitely continuing to grow in the same form that we are now and trying to add different things to interact with people. Like I said, the podcast is one of those, maybe vlogs. We're always doing things to try to enhance the experience more, updating the website. Um, So yeah, things are growing tremendously uh, from the days of Jeff and Gloria writing for fun to what it is today. The future Texas wine lover is definitely not lacking information. It's pretty funny. We'll have some weeks where we have too much information and not enough days to post them uh, because we don't want to overwhelm the public with too many posts. So it's, it's a fun juggling act sometimes to make sure we don't have too much information out sure. there. Sure. What is that sweet spot for you? Uh, how, how much do, do you like to get out there, but without overwhelming uh, readers? We've discovered probably two to three posts a week are good. Um, and, and by the way, part of our, our getting away from overwhelming people was people who subscribe to the website, which I definitely ask that you guys do if you like. Uh, if you subscribe to Texas Wine Lover, we're not sending you real-time stuff every day. There's one email that goes out every Monday morning that has the previous week's articles in there that way you're not being bombarded with junk mail or if you want real-time stuff if you work from home and you want to look at our stuff daily you can definitely go to the facebook page and have all sorts of things happening real time there right right so that's a great way of just having it incorporated with all of your other news feeds and whatnot absolutely yeah Yeah. well um in our we've got about five minutes left can we talk about you know your 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 you work for texas wine lover you're you also have a present as a presence as a sommelier at coleman cellars right which is in the in the hill country um give us a little flavor as to what coleman does and what you do at coleman well coleman cellars is a uh, handcrafted winery we founded in october 2014 and boy, are we going fast. Right. Uh, so we're, yeah. we're, we're in between Stonewall and High on Highway 290. And uh, it's, it's a great place to, to, to be part of the team. So we're, we're a boutique winery overall. Uh, we're, uh, we make handcrafted wines, a uh, lot of red blends. And we're really embracing the hot weather grapes like Viognier, Roussan, uh, Trebbiano, a little bit of Albarino. Right. On the red side, uh, our winemaker will not be shy to blend several different regionality with our, our Texas fruit. You might, and it's not uncommon to have Sangiovese, Carignan, Morved, and Tempranillo in one blend to really create a, a balanced wine. Right, so that idea of just uh, create, taking characteristics that are favorable from, and it does, you're not bound by a traditional blend that you might find in a traditional region of, of Europe, right? Yeah, it's kind of the best <laughs> of old world, new world, 
our winemaker, Benedict, uh, she is French and she grew up in Provence. So she brings to us a, a Mediterranean background and also had studied in Burgundy and then Bordeaux. And then she was with Ravenswood for 11 years. So we have this old world, new world kind of profile to our winemaking, which is really awesome because we're taking Texas and blending both those styles in, in one. Yeah, wonderful. And, and uh, you know, that, that does remind me that there's more and more winemakers that are coming from out of state um, that, are, that are either wanting to get in on the Texas industry early or um, they, 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 they're looking for new opportunities. Do you see that as well, both from Coleman and Texas Wine Lover? Oh, yeah. People are coming in from other countries. People are coming in from California and Washington and Oregon. We have, it's you know, not to sound cliche, it's Texas, it's the Wild West. We got a wide open frontier right. that's not inundated with wineries yet. Right. So right now, this is, this is a blank slate for winemakers to come out of Napa or Bordeaux or whatever and start fresh with this warm weather Mediterranean style winemaking technique, which is really cool. It's, it's, a, it's a really radical thing happening. I'm, I'm excited to be part of it. Yeah. Do you, do you think, what, what do you think that is holding back the Texas industry? I mean, and, and you know, there, there's so much growth and whatnot, uh, but I still feel like there might be uh, some piece missing between the growth of the industry and the excitement of people, of winemakers, of investors coming in. And there still is kind of this disconnect maybe with the public, uh, although that's narrowing, right? What, 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 is, what are the major factors, in your opinion, holding us back? Yeah, those are, those are fortunately changing for the better. Uh, if I were to speculate, I would say one of the biggest reasons is it's just production numbers. We have fewer vineyards than we need in Texas producing right now. And as that grows... That's going to enable us to produce more Texas wine in which we can breach the boundaries of Texas. And part of the goal of Texas Wine Lovers to broaden people's perspectives. We have members on our website from all over the world. So we want to bring that to people and, and bring the awareness outside of Texas as well. Well, Jeremy Wilson uh, from Texas Wine Lover, thank you so much for being on the show. And hopefully we'll stay in touch and, um, and, and continue to, to hear from you. And, um, and it's great to have you with a perspective of talking to winemakers from across the state. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, uh, txwinelover.com and a wonderful podcast where Jeremy will go uh, around the state and interview winemakers. Um, somewhat similar to, to here on Another Bottle Down, but um, you know, the, there's so much out there that we just can't cover it all here. Jeremy can't cover it all with Texas Wine Lover, so enough info to, to share with everybody. Um, we're going to shut it down. We're going to make way for um, the People's Republic of Austin. Thank Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, get ready for membership drive next week. We're going to really have a whole lot of fun. Uh, you are listening to KOOP HD1 HD3 Hornsby, and uh, we will see you next week, folks, with some antics for membership drive.